Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 547, May the 27th, 1995, £1.45. The cover stars for this week's Kerrang! are Therapy. Songs of love and rape, Therapy, take on the world. Also in this week's Kerrang! Stone Temple Pilots, Whelan Drug Bust Shock, Save £6 on Moist Terravision and Mud Honey album, see page 23, Axel and Trent Reznor, the double act of the decade. The Kerrang! interview. The Wild Hearts. Bon Jovi, the ultimate competition. Roadie Forum in Europe and win a platinum disc. Plus Ugly Kid Joe, Reef, Honeycrack, Skunk Anansi and Pearl Jam. Around a week ago now, a podcast was released with myself on it and uh, my friend Gaz. The podcast is called Track One Side One. Now this podcast is great. Um, it's... Gaz talking to a load of different people about their favourite uh, opening tracks for an album. So you have to pick your top five yeah, opening tracks for an album. And it's really, really difficult. It's really, really hard. I really struggled with it. Um, there's so many albums I like where I don't necessarily like the first song. There's so many albums I love where I love the first song. It's just it's so difficult. I really had a... a a tough time. So if you'd like to hear me struggle through my list of five, then you can find Gaz's podcast, uh, Track One Side One Podcast. Uh, I believe he's on Twitter, Instagram, probably Facebook. I think he's on all available platforms as well. So go over there, give it a listen. I had a lovely chat with Gaz and we had a we had a great time just chatting about the rock. Can't go wrong. If you'd like to follow us here at Karangback Issues, we can be found at Instagram, Karangback Issues, Twitter, Karangpod, and email issues at gmail.com If you would like to leave us a review on Apple Music or Spotify, that would be lovely and I understand if you can't be bothered. Let's begin this week's issue with a swift word from the editor. Lame is not the word. During a particularly high-octane set by US Noise Nick's Wall, it became really apparent. The band were great. Rocking with a ton of power tunes, you would never have guessed it. Looking around London's Astoria 2, you would have thought you were in your local morgue. Sure, the place was respectably full. It was just that the signs of life were missing from the audience. Amazing to think that everyone there had paid 8 quid to get in, only to impress their mates with their apathy. So what's the point of this mini whingathon? Well, it's just a polite way of asking you to get your proverbial shit together. Remember, boredom has been around for far longer than you or I, pal. You ain't invented it but you could do something about it. Okay, in a year where we've celebrated the anniversary of Kurt's death, where Richie Manic has been missing for over 113 days, where Eddie Vedder is playing gigs with his back to the audience, there are times when having a laugh and having a say seems almost unhip. This week though, Kerrang is well chuffed at the fact that Therapy, Mud Honey and the Wild Hearts can all be found in these pages shrugging off the post-grunge downer syndrome. Take a leaf out of their collective book. During this bank holiday, you've three days to get things going. Do something, start a band, start a fanzine, start your engine, anything. Oh yeah, and the next time you go and see a band, don't just stand there. Get involved, idiot dance, pogo, slam, who knows, you might even enjoy it. See you down the front, cheers, your slave and editor, Phil Alexander, editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Starting this week where we always begin, Mayhem, the loudest news first. World exclusive, Axl Rose and Trent Reznor to work together. 
Guns N' Roses main man Axl Rose has asked Nine Inch Nails leader Trent Reznor to work with him on a side project. I heard from Axl right before we started this tour, reveals Reznor exclusively to Mayhem. That was kind of when the downfall of Guns N' Roses was reaching the bottom. He was kind of freaked out and talked about working on some kind of project. I told him to let me know, I'm into at least listening to ideas. Rose has been a long time fan of Nine Inch Nails. He brought him over to the UK to support Guns N' Roses at Wembley Stadium in 1991. He's currently working on material for the next GNR album in Los Angeles, having re-recruited guitarist Izzy Stradlin last week. However, with Guns N' Roses' other six-stringer Slash still touring with his Snake Pit combo, there's still nothing like a fixed date for the Gunners to finally resume recordings. And with Rose being the only member of the band not to have either formed or hooked up with a side project, he may have finally decided to use his spare time to work with other people. Stop Press and Machine Head will hold an after-show party at XL's nightclub in Birmingham following their gig at Wolverhampton Civic Hall on May 27th. Body Count will play London Clapham the Grand on July 14th. Beastie Boys release a new album, The Roots Down EP, on May 29th. It features three versions of the previously unreleased Roots Down, eight live tracks and a hidden track. Sonic Youth are recording their new album in Easley Studios Memphis entitled Washing Machine. It's due in September. And Dinosaur Jr. main man Jay Maskis will play solo acoustic shows at Glasgow King Touch June 11th, Newcastle Riverside 12th, Manchester Boardwalk 13th, London Camden Underworld 15th and London Borderline on the 16th. Pearl Jam have run into trouble with the new ticket selling system they've used for their forthcoming US tour. The band spent much of last year battling the enormous Ticketmaster conglomerate in the US courts, claiming that the commission they charged for selling tickets was too high. Consequently, they enlisted the California-based ETM Entertainment Agency to sell tickets for all their 95 US dates. However, for certain shows, ticket prices have been set a mere 50 cents cheaper than they would have been under the terms Ticketmaster offered the band. In addition, Pearl Jam fans have complained about the difficulties they've had in obtaining tickets, while the band themselves have had problems finding venues that aren't contracted to Ticketmaster. Fans and ticket sales experts have already begun to question the efficiency of the ETM system. To make a credit card booking by phone, fans have to leave their order on a voicemail. They will then be called back by an ETM employee and asked to confirm their credit card number before the tickets are dispatched. Experts have pointed out that anyone could claim to be an ETM employee and cheat fans out of their credit card numbers. The use of alternative venues has also caused several problems, with many of those eventually chosen requiring a great deal of extra security. In San Francisco, for example, Pearl Jam will play to a sellout crowd of 50,000 at the Polo Fields on June 24th. In reality, the site is little more than a large field in Golden Gate Park, which threatens to present the organisers with the same problems as those encountered at Woodstock 2, where thousands of people scaled perimeter fences to get in without paying. Tickets for the Polo Field show went on sale at $21.50, ETM service charge being $2 with a 45 cent postage fee, making them 50 cents cheaper than they would have been had they been sold through Ticketmaster. Meanwhile, Pearl Jam have been forced to switch the opening date from Boise, Idaho to Casper, Wyoming after failing to reach an agreement on ticket selling with the Boise State Pavilion, who typically only had a 50 cent service charge to tickets. And in Phoenix, Arizona, the band insisted on sticking with ETM despite the venue's sanctioned ticket seller offering to handle tickets for a $1 fee. In the defense, ETM have pointed out how quickly ticket requests have been handled, with the show in Denver, Colorado selling out in a mere six minutes and the fact that the two ticket per person limit they've imposed is an attempt to beat the tout. However, many Pearl Jam fans are less than happy with ETM's complex methods of selling tickets. One angry fan who'd failed to get tickets for the Denver show posted the following message on Pearl Jam's bulletin board on the internet. 
All I got was seven minutes of busy signals. Listen up, Pearl Jam fans. This ETM program sucks big time. Five other friends of mine tried to get tickets and couldn't. If you can't get in, you're screwed. Good luck, you'll need it. Stone Temple Pilots frontman Scott Weiland is facing a four-year jail sentence after being arrested in the US last week on drugs charges. Weiland was arrested in Pasadena, California on May the 15th and charged with possession of heroin and cocaine. If he's convicted, under US law, he could face up to four years in prison. At present, Stone Temple Pilots' management and record company Atlantic are refusing to comment on the situation or provide any further details. However, the story has received saturation coverage in the US. It was broken by the TV news channel CNN and has since been picked up by virtually every national TV station, newspaper and radio station in the States. According to the latest reports, Wyland allegedly drove to Pasadena to buy drugs and was arrested as part of an undercover narcotics operation. Ironically though, it appears he was initially pulled over on a traffic offence when police officers stopped him for driving at night without headlights. The Pasadena Police Department has issued a statement in which they claim that Wyland attempted to crush a glass pipe when they approached his car. They say that a quantity of cocaine was found in the pipe when it was examined. In addition, the police have alleged that they found heroin inside Wyland's wallet when they searched him. Wyland was released on bail after being held for 24 hours in police cells and according to MTV News, he immediately contacted California radio station K-Rock and arranged for whole leader Courtney Love to read a letter he'd written expressing his sorrow and embarrassment live on the air. In the letter, Wyland apologised to his wife, family and friends for fucking up. He claimed he was suffering from the disease of drug addiction and said that he had been a hypocrite to his social ideals. He's likely to be formally charged in the US court with possession of narcotics in the near future. Stay tuned for more news soon. Bad Brains are in a state of turmoil after singer HR beat up the band's drummer Earl Hudson and manager in a bust-up in Montreal. HR, who's just rejoined the band, allegedly refused to go on stage in Montreal for what would have been the band's first show supporting the Beastie Boys. When the band's manager tried to coax him out of the dressing room, HR reportedly flew into a fit of rage, kicking him in the face and then attacking Hudson when he tried to intervene. The volatile vocalist was led away from the venue in handcuffs by police, but was later released that night. And apparently, he then attempted to return to LA only to be stopped at the Canadian border and allegedly charged with possession of marijuana. HR has since returned to LA, while the rest of the band have flown back to New York. At present, it's not known whether HR will remain in the band. Naturally, Bad Brains' remaining US dates with the Beastie Boys and their forthcoming European tour are now in considerable jeopardy. Watch this space for more news. Reef, the fast-rising West Country foursome will release their eagerly awaited debut album on June the 19th. Entitled Replenish, it'll um, feature the following track listing. Feed Me Naked, Good Feeling, Repulsive, Mellow Together, Replenish, Choose to Live, Comfort, Loose and End. The band frontman Gary Stringer, guitarist Kenwin House, bassist Jack Besant and drummer Dominic Greensmith have just issued Naked as a single. Available on 7-inch vinyl cassette and CD, it's backed by Choose to Live, Demo Version and Fade. At present, the band are rounding off a 20-day UK headlining tour and they're already being tipped to follow it up with a slot on this year's Reading Festival bill. Bon Jovi have met with a fanatical response on their first leg of their current world tour. The New Jersey superstars whose These Days album will be unleashed on June 22nd have kicked off the trek in the Far East to manic sellout crowds and the most chaotic scenes so far took place at the Open Air Ankol Entertainment Center in Tanjuk Priok in Jakarta, Indonesia. An estimated 60 to 100,000 people attended the show. 
Trouble momentarily flared when the band took the stage with a large number of people still attempting to get into the venue. At least 1,000 fans tried to force their way through police barricades. There were no serious injuries, although a large number of people fainted in the near 100 degree heat. However, contrary to reports elsewhere, local observers insist that the 3,000 strong police presence controlled the situation within a matter of minutes and that a full-scale riot did not break out at any point. Billboard magazine in the US quoted a spokesman for the North Jakarta police who said, It wasn't a serious incident, but the future of concerts attracting thousands of young people in Indonesia may have to be re-evaluated. Record news, and at the gates, the Swedish death metal combo will have their album The Red in the Sky is Ours reissued by Peaceville on May 29th. This will be packaged with an EP with Fear I Kiss the Burning Darkness. Crowbar, the Louisiana band, have had the release of their latest album, Time Heals Nothing, through Bulletproof, postponed until May 29th. The album was reviewed in issue 546. Jimi Hendrix, Thunderbolt Records have just issued a new Hendrix compilation titled Nightlife. Wasp, Blackie Lawless and his lads issue a single, Black Forever, Goodbye America, for their new label, Raw Power, on June the 5th. This will be made available on a 12-inch shaped picture disc, plus two CD formats. CD1 contains the extra studio track Skinwalker and One Tribe, while CD2 has covers of ACDC's Whole Lot of Rosie, and it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. The band's new album, Still Not Black Enough, is released to the world on June the 19th. Tour news and Apes, Pigs and Spacemen, The Foursome, will be playing dates at London's King's Cross Splash Club May 27th, Norwich Oval 29th, Colchester Oliver Twist 30th, Mary Hill Exposure Rock Cafe 31st, Birmingham Exposure Rock Cafe June 1st, Rudgley Red Rose Theatre 2nd, Worcester Stage 4th and Croydon Cartoon on the 7th. The band issue an EP titled Safety Net through Music for Nations on June 26th. There will be a regular CD version plus a special numbered limited edition poster pack of a thousand with a free sticker. Ooh. Goo Goo Dolls, the raw to the bone trio from Buffalo, New York, will be supporting Teenage Fan Club at the Leeds Irish Centre May 24th, Sheffield University 25th, Cambridge Junction 28th, Portsmouth Pyramid Centre 29th, Wolverhampton Civic Centre 31st, Cardiff University Terminal June 1st, and London Shepherd's Bush Empire on the 2nd. Morbid Angel, Earache Records will be holding a special launch party for the Florida band's latest album, Domination, on May 29th. This is in conjunction with the Devil's Church and takes place at London's Camden Underworld. Main man David Vincent will be making a personal appearance. There will also be lots of giveaways and competitions, plus a chance to hear the album, set for release the following day. For further details, contact Mike 0171 722 The Ramones, Jerry and his pals bring a touch of Gabba Gabba Hay to the UK when they played the London Astoria on June 27th and 28th, supported by the Anti-Nowhere League. Shudder to think the Twisted US Hardcore Combo played London Camden Dingwalls on June the 7th with big fellow cat record signees Lotion, Crowsdale and Blumfeld. The band will also be appearing at the Phoenix Festival. Sick of it all, the New York Hardcore Heroes returned to the UK to play Milton Keynes Walton Centre July 9th, Glasgow Garage 11th, Dudley JB's 12th, Bradford Rio's 13th and London Astoria 2 on the 14th. And finally, the Susie Quattro lives in Chelmsford. This is the rather odd title being given to a free band tour featuring Ligament, Joey Fat and Scarfo. They play Oxford Elm Tree May 25th, Nottingham Narrowboat 28th, Leeds Fenton 29th, Edinburgh Venue 30th, Godalming H's Club uh, June the 1st, London King's Cross Splash Club on the 2nd.
now cross the pond to America. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens. This week, we begin with Donkey in New York. Ozzy Osbourne has been back in New York's Sony Music Studios doing more work on the new Osmosis album, with bassist Geezer Butler and drummer Dean Castronova in tow. However, now that Zach Wilde is officially out, who will be the new guitarist in the Ozzy's band? Well, unconfirmed sources suggest that former Testament man Alex Skolnick, most recently with Sabotage and his own band Exhibit A, was a candidate for the job. But it now seems that Ozzy will stick with a winning tradition and seek out a total unknown for the gig. Speaking of Sabotage, it appears that the band still have a recording deal with Atlantic despite disappointing recent record sales, and the label has geared itself in a more alternative direction. A big congratulations to Sepultura guitarist Andreas Kisser, who became a daddy on May the 1st. Andreas and his wife Julia Maria flew home to Sao Paulo for the birth of their first child and will remain there until early July when the band will complete writing for the next Sepultura Slab of Wax. Sep's drummer Igor Cavalera is getting hitched around that time as well. Meanwhile, we've heard a very rough demo of one new Sepultura song and can state unequivocally that it was brutally heavy. Domestic Bliss and Fatherhood have not mellowed this lot. CMC Records are making a name for themselves as a haven for major label cast-offs in the US, signing the likes of Slaughter, Kicks and Warren. And for diehard 80s metal loyalists, this past weekend was a three-day excursion to heaven. Friday night was a special reunion show for local New Jersey legends Hades, whilst the reformed Dokken pulled into the Birch Hill nightclub the same night. Slaughter were at the Birch Hill on Saturday and Kicks closed out this nostalgia fest on Sunday at the limelight. Could the 80s actually be coming back? Please say it isn't so. US News Extra Green Day's Dookie has now been certified for sales in excess of 7 million copies in the US. Kiss are working on a box set which will feature a whole host of rare and previously unreleased material from the band's archives. Live will kick off their biggest US tour to date on July 19th. The month-long trek sees the band stepping up to 12 to 25,000 capacity venues and they'll be supported by PJ Harvey, Veruca Salt and Buffalo Tom. Stabbing Westwood have contributed the track Nothing to the soundtrack album of the forthcoming Keanu Reeves film, Johnny Mnemonic. We now cross over to Los Angeles with Lisa Johnson. Radiance the Machine are preparing to burst back into action with their first live show for an age. The band will be one of the headliners at this year's K-Rock Weenie Roast in mid-June, with up-and-coming hotshots Bush and Wax supporting. Last year's roast featured Green Day and Offspring, while Stone Temple Pilots did the honours in a 93. And where's Rage Against the Machine's follow-up to 92's platinum-selling debut disc? Well, the official word is, it's coming, which means that the band are laying down a few extra tracks before wrapping up work in the studio. The Beastie Boys played a super secret benefit show at the Palace with touts charging up to $100 for a ticket and the reason for this charity gig, it was part of the community service the boys Ad Rock had to serve for slugging a photographer uh, at actor River Phoenix's funeral. The John Spencer Blues Explosion opened up alongside Epitaph's latest signing DFL. And while Slashy Snake Pit were whooping it up at their own gig at the Palace in Hollywood on Saturday night, Wes Arkeen, the guy who made a bundle of pocket money co-writing with Guns N' Roses and Friends, were playing at a club across town. So everyone at the bash was waiting to catch a glimpse of Axel, Slash or Duff, but sadly, none of Arkeen's celebrity friends managed to put in an appearance. Beavis, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Terrorvision, supported by Joyrider, live at St George's Hall Bradford on Wednesday, May the 17th. 
Reviewed by Paul Travers, this one gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. A mere two and a half years ago, television played at a place not a million miles away from here. The Jug in Doncaster. I was there. There were only about 30 people in the audience and half of those were only there for the beer. It was not a gig of earth-shattering dimensions. Now, one doo-wop and many cheesy outfits later, television is selling out plush theatres that hold thousands. There are actual families here, and more road children than you could easily shoot. There are balconies like those in The Muppet Show, and a general feeling of celebration in the air. Terravision are very nearly pop stars. Last year, in fact, they had more singles in the top 40 than any other band. The show starts early tonight, but Joyrider managed to pull a substantial amount of people away from the Great Brookside trial verdict. Like Ash, they're young, exuberant and Irish, but they don't have a Kung Fu or a Jack Names the Planet. Okay, so Nobody Home sounds like a simplistic pop rock monster trying to break out of a subdued mix, and they do have a knack for splicing canny pop tunes to punkoid muscle. Ultimately though, Joyrider get feet tapping without causing any jaws to drop. Terrorvision entered to the theme music from the Rockford Files, and for at least a minute the crowd does Tony Wright's job for him. Not by dancing badly, one hastened swad, but by singing en masse the opening lines to Alice What's the Matter. The hometown gig atmosphere could not be better, and Problem Solved, American TV, and Stop the Bus are all upped up. They dig out the oldie new policy, throw in a Beatles cover for good measure, and parade a newie called Dog That Chewed the Hand Off. It's a crunchy bouncy number that's instantly recognisable as television, while not sounding quite like anything they've written before. Not all their songs are as good as this. Both formaldehyde and how to make friends and influence people had their lumpen moments, and tonight these are represented by human being and a laboured stab in the back. What makes you tick gives Tony the chance to trade ticks and tocks with his audience, but it's still not a great moment, unlike Middleman, during which a curtain is drawn back from the rear of the stage to reveal what looks like a 13-piece string section. Not excess on the Guns N' Roses scale perhaps, but another touch that helps to make this less just a television gig and more of an event. They could, of course, finish with only one song, and the speed of that version of Oblivion causes chaos at the uh, friendly, non-dangerous variety. A triumphant finish to a night of pure, top-notch entertainment. Next up, we have Ugly Kid Joe live at the Astoria 2 London on Monday, May the 15th. Reviewed by Raidzel, this one gets a static out of 5, that's a 3 out of 5. Skin shedding or media labelling, the Uggs were unveiled with that song as Bozo Bubblegumsters. Then, when I saw the Sweatfest, which was their London show a couple of years back, we were dealing with a skatecore situation. Now, UKJ, Mark III circa 1995 are simply a heavy-ish rock band, and that's probably all they ever really were. It's unfortunate that these Ugg gigs precede the release of the Minister Sobriety album. I've heard it. Warrant playing Skid Row. The Uggs open with a newie, the sneering VIP. Madman follows. A familiar oldie which is greeted by individuals waving their feet in the air. Nope, I'm serious. Then contemplated uh, by mood lighting, frontman Whitfield Crane gets a touch sinister for tomorrow's world. But it's the appearance of panhandling prints that re-injects adrenaline into a crowd already buzzing like a busy bee, to coin a phrase. Ugly Kid Joe, as proficient as they are, looks somewhere outside the vicinity of Spectacular. Whitfield, with his surf punk turned surf drunk good looks, and Dripping Barnet is a cool focal point with his bursts of hyperactivity, but a classic frontman he is not yet. At the start of this gig, I wasn't drinking announces Naughty Wit after Newey Jesus rode a Harley, and brandishing a can, a remark like that from the stage gets a cheer. If someone next to you at the bar said it, you'd think twat. 
The Uggs wave bye-bye after the Furious Neighbor, best song of the night in the guitar department. They return for an encore which includes a poxy jam but does not include that song. Now I kind of like that song, and if Wit & Co really had a sense of humour, they'd say fuck you and play the bastard. But uh, I didn't hate everything about them. The next gig reviewed is Saxon and China Beach, live at the Wolfram Hall Wolverhampton on Saturday, May the 13th. Reviewed by Malcolm Dome, this one gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. On the night that Britain tried desperately to drag the Eurovision Song Contest into the mid-90s, Saxon were doing their level best to catapult metal back to the early 80s and damn it, succeeding. In many ways, Saxon have suddenly become the epitome of all that the new wave of British heavy metal once stood for. There's a rekindled affection for Biff and the lads that probably owes much to the fact that unlike contemporaries Leopard and Maiden, they are, in major international terms at least, something of a glorious failure. And we Brits just love such beasts. Not that Saxon are cool again, were they ever, but the Barnsley big teasers have been virtually rehabilitated in recent months. Tonight there was a chance to wallow in nostalgia, yet it was nostalgia with a purpose. As British as Carry On films, they represent a bygone era that modern day performers cannot hope to duplicate, and the packed hall proved they still have a large audience over here. Only vocalist Biff and guitarist Paul Quinn remain from the glory days of a decade and a half ago, but that didn't matter nor that there were nearly as many numbers from new album Dogs of War 5 as Timeless Masterpieces 6. No, this was a celebration of metal music as pure cheesy entertainment, 110 minutes to punch the air, shake out the dandruff and smile with innocent pleasure. The new material was impressive enough, in particular the gross out bombast of Big Twin Rolling coming home, the cranking Demolition Alley and the slightly surreal set opener Dogs of War. But it was still the old classics, Motorcycle Man, Strong Arm of the Law, Wheels of Steel, Princess of the Night, 747 Strangers in the Night. Denim and leather that caught the attention when you can throw those sort of songs into the pot at your leisure, you cannot fail. Of course, we also got the inevitable 80s cliches that you can do better than that sing-along. Two mercifully short guitar solos from Quinn and new boy Doug Scarant, an adequate replacement for the recently departed Graham Oliver, but why wasn't he introduced to the crowd? Question mark. A drum solo, uh, from Nigel Glocker, and a bass solo, ah, uh, from Nibs Carter. Hell, Biff, ever the consummate frontman, even asked the fans if it was loud enough. Shall we turn it up, he hammed. I haven't heard that art from the stage in years. It was totally retro, completely out of step with a modern idiom, and utterly magnificent. But Biff, could you answer one question? If this year is Saxon's 15th anniversary, as you claimed in Wolverhampton, how come your debut album came out in 1979? As for Mancunian power metal support at China Beach, they were solid and workmanlike, but their set lacked focus and inspiration. They need better songs if their genuine competence and desire to be transformed into a winning career. Next we have the Spud Monsters, supported by Lawnmower Death at the Marquee London on Tuesday, May the 9th. Reviewed by Morat, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. If Lawnmower Death had flogged this deceased horse any longer, they would have had animal rights protesters on their doorsteps. Even these horticultural headcases realise that the joke's just not very funny anymore. And tonight they dragged a crippled pony out for one last canter before it sent off to the knacker's yard. As such, the final bash looks like it might be a bit sad. The band have obviously all moved on to other things and the magic is gone. Mid-set though, that hideous glint returns to their eyes and you can't help being really thankful that it's their last ever show. The world will be a much safer place without Kev's ass or watch out grandma, or Corecast Mutilator's dismal jokes, or whole audiences flat on their backs with their legs in the air. 
It will also be a much sadder place. Lawnmower death, they came, they drank, they asked about, resting compost. The Spud Monsters, in complete contrast, are a rip-snorting hardcore outfit bursting with aggression. They may be disappointing on CD, but live, even with one guitarist missing, they are fucking mind-blowing. Oldies like Death Sucks and Repo Man are outstanding, as is material from this year's No Guarantees opus. If only the Spuds could reproduce this raw energy in a studio, they'd be bigger than any hardcore band you could mention. The atmosphere changes as if this were two totally different gigs. Sadly, with their full-on assault, the Spud Monsters draw a handful of fuckwit skinheads who pick on some of the metalheads. But to his credit, maniac frontman Don Foose is straight off the stage to calm things down. The Spud Monsters are what live hardcore should be about. Check them out as soon as you can, but leave the attitude problems at home. We now come to this week's cover stars. Therapy, songs of love and rape. Heart-wrenching. Love, hate, rape. Therapy's new LP ain't a barrel of laughs. Why? Paul Brannigan has the answers. What part of Ireland are you bastards from? Therapy based bod Michael McKeegan turns to face a pair of glazed eyes. Christ, he's not in the mood for confrontation. He's only nipped out of the hotel to grab a bite to eat. I'm not getting at you, says a stranger. It's just you Irish are so fucking happy all the time. Our drunken friend may have a point. Sitting in the bar of London's Embassy Hotel, Michael and Therapy's amiable frontman Andy Kearns, now minus the goatee of doom, are wearing smiles which would make Cheshire cats green with envy. This might have something to do with the proximity of the stunning all-girl Irish trad dance group Riverdance, but chances are the shit-eating grins are there for one simple reason. Therapy are about to release Infernal Love, the finest album of their gloriously raucous career. A brief recap for latecomers. In 1991, Therapy exploded out of a small town in Northern Ireland with their frazzled, frenetic and fucked up debut Baby Teeth, a blur of driller killer anthems, serrated guitars and fist-in-the-face melodies. The trio were instantly hailed as noise nicks for the 90s. By 1993, this early promise had been borne out. A clutch of Top of the Pops appearances and the clinically precise fury of their A&M debut nurse, marking them out as the indie group metal kids can dig. Everything went pear-shaped after last year's Troublegum album. It was blunter, deeper, darker, a bleeding gash filled with tears and self-loathing, and the world and his nephew fell in love with Andy Cairns' angst-ridden anthems. The band battled the top 20 with indecent frequency, stole the show at the major festivals and notched up half a million record sales some year. Infernal Love will take therapy onwards and upwards. No fucking problem. I hate using the term, but Infernal Love is a more grown-up album, Andy states. There's a lot more depth to it and it's much more musically accomplished. Each of the songs has a completely different approach. While Troublegum was a metal-orientated, raging, full-on album and Nurse was indie and industrial-flavoured, this one is just us. Just our rock and roll record. The record company would have you believe that Infernal Love is a brighter, less claustrophobic record, but with lyrics about screwed up relationships, macho pride, rape and child abuse, it's hardly fun and last with therapy, is it? People have been trying to emphasise that this is a more optimistic record because a couple of songs are as close as we get to being up-tempo and breezy, laughs Andy. But it's no picnic. There will always be that sour side to the way we write. But, he admits, we have tried to integrate having fun into everything we do this year. Since we're all really happy and on top of things at the moment, hence the photo session as seen in Crane 544, where we were wearing tuxedos, frilly shirts and stick-on moustaches. We can't really pull off trying to be cool. We did all the black stuff with Troublegum, so now we just want to have fun and make things a lot less po-faced and laboured than maybe they were in the past. 
But the chorus of stories, the first single to be lifted from Infernal Love, reads, Happy people have no stories. Explain yourself, Mr. Hypocrite. That line is a sarcastic jibe against all this trendy angst in rock music at the moment, Andy reveals. I suppose I've been guilty of that in the past, but it was really pissing me off recently. I saw so many bands and their fans going around wearing all black and hanging their heads on big sunny days. There are young people dying of AIDS and cancer, kids born with all kinds of handicaps and diseases, and you get perfectly normal people trying to put themselves into a miserable state just to act cool. Wise up, for fuck's sake. The new improved angst-free therapy is best showcased on the storming pop-punk cut Loose, the finest three-minute adrenaline rush since Screamager. It will tear the summer pop charts apart. Andy is chuffed to bits with it. We've had Loose for ages, but we didn't use it because we thought that it didn't fit in with our stuff. It's completely optimistic. Loads of happy memories I have from Belfast all rolled into one song. It's about that huge natural buzz you get when you're really in love and really on top of the world. Love is the most potent drug you can get and also the most difficult one to lay your hands on. Ah yes, love. Back in December, Therapy promised the big Kerrang twisted love songs and by God they've delivered. Sex, guilt, betrayal, fear, it's all here in bucket loads, laced with biting black humour. A moment of clarity and bowels of love see Therapy boldly striding into the big love epic arena, complete with lush string arrangements from cellist Martin McCurrick and the smooth as silk Ken's crew. Our confidence as a band has definitely increased, smiles McKeegan. In the past, we'd have rejected something like Bowels of Love straight away because it's not strictly a therapy song. People expected us to come back sounding like a souped-up Metallica, but we wouldn't have felt comfortable with that at all. We don't worry anymore about what we should be doing. Right in this album, we said we'll try everything. Three quarters of it will be shit and won't work, but we've got to try it, otherwise we'll never know. Bowels of Love is not shit. And with its sweeping Nick Cave style dynamics and lyrics about pouring Eros maggots down my throat, it's also pretty damn far from the I love you babe sentiments of Stadium Rock Inc. Given the renowned therapy sense of humour, one suspects that it's not wholly serious either. Are you suggesting I'm not a genuinely tortured artiste? Andy exclaims in horror. Uh, perhaps I'm just too cynical and insensitive. Now nah, we're only messing Andy chuckles. We knew that if we were trying to make it all deep and meaningful, everyone would accuse us of being pretentious cunts. At the risk of turning therapy into pretentious uh, chaps, McCrick also contributes eerie cello lines to the dark and sinister me versus you. That actually started off with me trying to write a country and western song on an acoustic guitar, just taking the piss because I really love stuff by the likes of Hank Williams, Andy says, then it metamorphosed from being a big rock beast into something atmospheric and creepy. It's about what happens when you are staggered home drunk and bewildered in the middle of the night. You start thinking about ex-girlfriends, so you call around out on the blue to visit. They remember all the things you did to fuck them, so they only open the door a little bit, and you're trying to charm the pants off them just to get in the house to hold them again. They know exactly what you're up to, and it's just so pathetic. At the moment, the whole relationship thing is impossible, Andy sighs, but it goes with the territory. I suppose I haven't had a steady girlfriend for over a year. However, I have really calmed down recently and stopped being such a male dickhead. We sing about stupid macho pride on misery. The song is basically about having a fight or argument with someone. The lyrics are really sarcastic stream of consciousness stuff. In the way that males cast things off in a really sarcastic fashion and just shut off when they know they're wrong but they don't want to face up to their fuck ups. Boys can be so stupid. The stupidity of one particular boy provided the inspiration for Jude the Obscene. That's about our school buddy says Andy, wincing at the memory. He was a completely psychotic lunatic and everyone dreaded him. Where I lived, there was only one way to walk home from school and you knew he'd be there to torment you. It's even worse when you're a kid because other kids can be so cruel. 
When you are younger and under pressure, you can take strength and inspiration from superheroes in comics, Spider-Man and Superman or whatever. And when you get older, people often turn to music, especially rock music. That's the way it was with me anyway. Music has always been really cathartic like that. The power of really good metal, for example, is incredible. You can come home from school after a shitty day and stick on a really powerful record and the whole world just reconstructs itself. On Troublegum, Andy Cairns paid tribute to his musical heroes by covering Joy Division's Isolation. Infernal Love also contains a cover version, an impassioned, strings-backed reading of Huskadoo's Disturbing Diane. The Grant Hart pen song is a bleak tale of rape and murder. I think it's one of the best songs ever written, Andy states, but we only wanted to do it if we could add something to it. We tried it on guitars, but it sounded exactly like the Huskadoo original. Again, good old Martin saved the day with his cello arrangements, which added a kind of poignancy to the song. Our rendition is a lot more sly, subtle and understated than the Huskadoo version, which is raging, full-on desperation and anger. But sometimes, even well-intentioned anti-rape songs can seem wholly inappropriate in a live setting. Michael, Andy and I recall Nirvana's final Belfast gig when thousands clapped and swayed to the heartbreaking Polly. We have to be really careful, agrees Andy. We used to do Diane live with guitars, but it sounded too bombastic, testosterone-fueled and male. I would hate to think of people singing along with their lighters in the air. Kurt Cobain must have been horrified at getting that reaction night after night. Sexual abuse is not something you can take lightly for entertainment purposes. There's a line in 30 seconds which goes buggered by a priest when you were 7 years of age. The age of understanding came with blood and semen stains. That's about a guy I know back home who was raped by a priest when he was really young. The guy told me about it out of the blue one night when we were both drunk. I remember being really appalled, ashamed and disgraced. He's nearly the same age as me and still gets upset about it. How are you supposed to deal with something like that? How indeed. And yet the same song ends on a hopeful note with a refrain, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's a song about trying to survive. I hope people pick up on that. If you're in a fight, you can do one of two things. You can curl up in a ball and let yourself get the fuck kicked out of you, or you can push and run and try to get through it all. 30 seconds is the sounds of us battling through all the shit in our lives. If you're feeling really down, put on a record and turn it up full. No matter how fucking shit the world is, there's still hope there for everybody. Don't give up. Don't let the fucking darkness win. Don't let it crush you. So this is how you're feeling now as a band, positive and optimistic. Definitely affirms Michael. We all know that if this life ever gets really shitty, we'll just jack it in. The success we've had still really fucks with our heads in that we get really excited and enthusiastic about things. We played this gig last year in San Francisco supporting Duran Duran and we were looking at one another thinking, what the fuck are we doing here? I never want to lose that kind of naivety. So all is rosy in the therapy garden. Well, there was one downer during the recording of Infernal Love, recalls Andy with a solemn expression. There were a couple of geese and ducks resident in the studio, and we were trying to get together a duck symphony by milking up their quacking to get a jazz odyssey feel, but they snubbed us and just kept running off. Rejection doesn't get any easier. Perhaps we should offer them a support slot on tour to show there's no hard feelings. It's time now for us to find out what's happening in the rock world in 1995 from you, the readers. So, communication. Let's begin with the letter of the week. Having read the Rock Girls feature in issue 543, where you talk shit about Doro and Lee Aaron, I just have to say that Doro is the one that I've always looked up to, but every time you write about her, you just strike her off. Instead, you give the honour to some fucking skinhead bitch, and I'm sure she sounds as bad as she looks. 
I can't see what's so wrong with Doro or Lee Aaron at all. It's over two years since you had an interview with Doro and Kerrang and I've been waiting too long now, so I hope you'll do an interview with her soon. She was voted the fifth top woman in the Reader's Poll 95, so there's still people who love her, and her new LP Machine to Machine is better than ever, with its funky industrial style. You can say what the fuck you like, but I'm not interested in what you think about Doro at all. I'm just waiting for you to bring us some serious news about her because she has made a bloody great album. You know I'm right. Raymond, Doro Maniac, Norway. You are quite clearly mad, and so a Karen cap is well in order. Editor. Imagine my joy when I heard that the Wild Hearts were appearing on top of the pops. Now imagine my horror when I actually saw them miming. Don't get me wrong, I'm glad the Wild Hearts are finally getting the media attention they deserve, but they really have to compromise themselves and their long-term fans by miming. We know they can cut it live, as they showed at Reading 94 and no doubt will at Phoenix this year, so why pander to the assholes at BBC One? A seriously disappointed Hearts fan from Liverpool. This is a heartfelt plea to extreme. Please add more dates to your tour. You desert us for three years, Donington aside, and then you announce a six-date tour going no further north in England than Manchester. What about Leeds or Bradford? And to top it all, I'm on bloody holiday throughout the whole fucking tour. Please do some more dates. July the 6th would be perfect. Please, MCP, Extreme and Kerrang, don't let my cry go unheard. Phil, East Yorkshire. So, another tragic metal death. And with it, I imagine the end of another great heavy metal band. Who am I talking about? Carl Albert of Vicious Rumours, to whom you graciously donated a paragraph in issue 545. You really are pitiful bastards. Richie James does a disappearing act and gets endless pages of viewpoints, updates and god knows what. Then when someone in a proper metal band dies, you don't even have the decency to grant them a page size obituary. Carl would probably have preferred the coverage when he was alive. When was the last time you interviewed VR? But it's a bit late for that now, isn't it? But how do I know you aren't in fact writing Cole's obituary at this very moment? Call it intuition. I mean, you never wrote one for Chris Oliver of Sabotage, not like Kurt, but then there was more money in Kurt's death. I hope this letter leaves you justifiably guilt-ridden, you sad, pathetic, bandwagon-riding scumbags. Rob from Market Harbour. Gagging for a shagging. Please, please, times a million, print a picture of the best-looking bloke on the planet, Matt Cameron of Soundgarden. I'd love to have a big, dumb sex with him any day. Jenny, County Andrew. We've read in your magazine recently some letters of support for the brilliant but now sadly act rock show on Red Dragon Radio. Paul Jones is not only a very good DJ with an extensive, in-depth knowledge and love of the music he plays, but he's also jolly good-looking. We are three ladies from the Miles who live in a retirement home. We are BT69, Phyllis65 and Fanny64. For many years now, more than we care to remember, we've been listening to rock music and between us have seen hundreds of bands ranging from Led Zeppelin and Hendrix to Status Quo and Cougar. Nowadays, we tend not to go to many concerts, although we do have tickets to see Bon Jovi. And therefore, the only way we can keep up with what is current is by listening to the radio. So what do we do now? It's all very well telling us that there are still two good rock shows on Radio 1, but surely we should be supporting our regional radio stations, which ultimately play a large part in breaking new local bands and exposing us to foreign acts for the first time. So come on everyone, let's show Britain that we are not as apathetic and as willing to accept unwelcome change as they think we are. Rock is having a hard enough time surviving in this world of processed pop as it is. So let's get it back on the radio. Let's get Paul Jones back on the radio. BT, Phyllis and Fanny, The Miles. 
I'd just like to say fuck you to the screaming kid Karang544. What the fuck do you think you're on about? Green Day just happened to be the most earth-shattering best fucking band in the world and they're a lot more hot and happening than the damned. What right do you have you got to go around insulting people's musical tastes? If you want to start a fight, I feel sorry for you. The damned haven't even released an album since the last Ice Age, so you won't have a leg to stand on. Okay, so the damned Sex Pistols, Stiff Little Fingers were all excellent, but what I'm saying is that the old stuff is fucking brilliant and we've got to move on. Preferably not by slagging off other bands. By the way, Green Day are the fucking bee's knees. Slosh from Darlington. Ill communication. It's the ultimate Kerrang competition. Hump Bon Jovi. Or at least their gear, roadie for John and the boys in Europe and win a Bon Jovi platinum disc. It's the competition of a lifetime. You could roadie for the biggest band in the world, Bon Jovi. Yes, on June the 1st, Kerrang in conjunction with Mercury Records will be flying someone out to the Sport Forum Semnitz in what was formerly East Germany to assist Bon Jovi as they play one of their massive Anormo shows. The first prize for one lucky winner and a friend includes a pair of return plane tickets to get you out to the gig, accommodation in a top hotel for the night before and the night of the show, a chance to hump gear in true roadie style, a chance to meet Bon Jovi, a platinum disc for the Crossroads The Best of Bon Jovi album engraved with the winner's name, plus your picture and story printed in Kerrang! in a future issue. All you have to do to answer the following question correctly. What was the name of Bon Jovi's last full studio album? Call 0839401 leave your answer, name, address, daytime, phone number, your age, and remember to speak clearly. Closing date of this competition is May 28th, and the winner will be notified on May 29th, so get dialing. Next up in Kerrang! we have a piece entitled Burning Bush, America's Most Wanted. New grunge stars Bush have set America on fire, but they ain't from Seattle, they're British. Claire Dalsh reveals their incredible rags to riches story. It's been 12 years since a British rock band broke America. Back in 1983, it was Def Leppard who took their breakthrough album Pyromania there and watched their sales soar into the millions. Since then, the likes of the almighty Little Angels and Thunder have gone out there and come back with their tails between their legs. But now, there's a new hair to the throne. Bush's debut album 16 Stone was released in the US in March and has sold almost a million copies since. Their videos saturate MTV with their huge hooking choruses, weighty riffs and twisted lyrics. They are being talked about as natural successors to Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Not bad for four blokes from Shepherd's Bush with the distinctly unrock and roll names of Gavin, Nigel, Robin and Dave. Back in early 1993, Gavin Rostell, Nigel Pulsford, Dave Parsons and Robin Goodridge were named Future Primitive and were gigging at pubs like London's Amersham Arms. At that time, every major record label in the UK should have been on the lookout for a homegrown rock band who could emulate the success of all the US acts. Bush have all the obvious qualities. On stage, they play with confident aggression and look like pinups. Their music is instantly memorable without being obviously derivative, yet inexplicably, not one British label offered the band a deal. It was really annoying, Robin sighs. All these A&R people would come to our rehearsals and just sit there. We'd be like, what the fuck do you want? We're playing the songs for you, what else is there? It's all down to money. The Americans aren't afraid to spend money. A rock band is an expensive thing. And it's all about those A&R men's fears for their own jobs too, agrees Gavin. All the A&R people were afraid of making a huge mistake. Basically, deadpans Nigel, they're just not very good at their jobs. It took American intervention to save Bush from being relegated to a life of pub gig obscurity. The band was signed by Rob Kahane, the former manager of pop superstar George Michael who owned Trauma Records, part of the hugely influential US label Interscope. 
During the recording of 16 Stone, all the members of Bush worked full-time during the day, spending their nights in the studio. Frontman Gavin worked in advertising as an artist. Drummer Robin decorated a bar in Soho. Bassist Dave, formerly of lapsed 80s popsters Transvision Vamp, was a decorator too. And guitarist Nigel smoked drugs professionally. It wasn't easy. Once the album was ready, Bush let the music do the talking. Before 16 Stone was even released, they were swamping radio stations across the US. Rock radio is so powerful there, Gavin admits. There are a million stations playing our kind of music. If we even had three rock radio stations here. And as far as MTV was concerned, Bush couldn't have timed their arrival more perfectly. MTV really helped us a lot, Robin confesses. It's why bands like Offspring have really happened. MTV has gone from being full of old metal bands with spandex and big hair to having a more alternative rock slant. All those old metal bands are now having to reinvent themselves. Bands like Skid Row, who've swapped leather kecks and cowboy boots for jeans and Converse footwear. The Skids revealed in singles in Kerrang 541 that they'd love to take Bush on the road with them tomorrow. They want to open for us, asks Nigel. Great. Despite their newfound success, Bush aren't heading for the Enorma Domes and their current US trek. Instead, it will be packed in sweaty clubs, with the band under close scrutiny from the crowd. Stadium is exactly what we want to avoid, says Gavin. With the music that we play, it's really important that people are close up uh, to us so that they can really taste the band. And with the debut album sales now nudging the million mark, do Bush think that they could be the next Def Leppard? The band roar with laughter. They'd have records out here before they broke, Dave points out, whereas we haven't had the chance for our records to be ignored yet. But everything's turning in their favour. Last night our sound man was in a cab, grins Gavin, and everything's end, the band's debut single, was on the radio. The driver turned it up and the sound man asked him if he liked it, and the cabbie goes, yeah, it's fucking great. So many bands just make a load of money on their first record, then blow it and find the second one's a flop, says Robin. But we're not going to do that. We've been through all the times of having no fucking money and getting nowhere, so we're really appreciative of the position we're in, and we're here to stay. We now come to singles, and the singles this week are reviewed by Jason Arnott. First single reviewed is Hootie and the Blowfish with their track, Let Her Cry. This gets 4Ks. A fine piece of mellow folk rock, backed with lots of other mellow pieces of live folk rock. Let Her Cry has the best chorus by far. Older, sweet, sitting on a porch as the crickets were loveliness of it all. Phil Tolerant Alexander, however, disagrees, flinging the CD across the room. Can't talk to him when he's like this. Next up is Blaggers ITA with their single Rumblefish, Death by Cool. This gets 4Ks. EMI Survivor still going strong with a seriously gruesome Rumblefish and the meaner Death by Cool. Matty, Blagger and the boys have been going for a while, seemingly without much advancement. Start buying their records now, or your legs may well be removed and hidden. Mud Honey with their single Generation Spokesmodel. This gets 3Ks. Nothing spectacular from the long-standing grungsters. Generation Spokesmodel is a nicely cynical rant, while the exclusive Not Going Down That Road Again goes country rock, but there's nothing to masturbate over. Not that we do that sort of thing. Meridian with their single Beautiful. This gets 2Ks. Why not regain modern cred by releasing the most sugary ballad possible? Make it technically stunning but tedious. Then release it as a two-part CD. Instant death. The single of the week this week comes from Therapy with their single stories. This gets 5Ks. Core. Fuck me. Wonder what the single of the week could be, eh? Stories might nick an early Wild Hearts riff but remains typically simple excellence. And the B-sides may be remix type things, slap wrists, but are at least totally different versions. Listen to this, suckers, and hear the standard you need to aspire to. 
Write songs half as good as stories or stop clogging the market. I want to be a lesbian. Face to face and in your face, the Kerrang interview by Paul Rees. From scruffy rock and roll reprobate to a scruffy top of the pop star, Wild Heart's main man Ginger is still the most unpredictable man in rock and he's shooting from the lip in the most in your face interview ever. The Wild Hearts have made two top of the pops appearances in as many weeks. I Wanna Go Where The People Go is their first big hit single, Mark Heads has finally joined the band. It's all a far cry and a few thousand miles away from New York City a few weeks back. Back then, Ginger was bored, Danny was having a shite time, Rich was bemoaning the fact that they made the mistake of sacking CJ. But such is the nature of life in the Wild Hearts, good one day, bad the next and ugly every once in a while. A bit like a conversation with Ginger himself. He's got an opinion on everything, an answer for anything, and he could quite conceivably be the first man to represent his country at international level in the sport of moaning. All of which makes him one of life's genuinely interesting, intriguing and fucking infuriating characters. Today he's sat in an uncomfortably chic hotel bar nursing a hangover. He's already made a party political broadcast on behalf of the Anarchy Party, discussed the relative merits of the British and American porn industries at some length and almost choked on his own fag at the thought of doing a duet with Courtney Love. And now he's about to talk about himself and his band. How much truth is there in all those stories about you trying to commit suicide? You don't try to commit suicide, you either do it or you don't. It's a loaded concept. There's certain people who will attempt suicide for attention, to scream for help, but I try to avoid attention as much as possible. I got to the point where I felt like I had nothing. No one gave a shit about me. I was a commodity. I ended up just completely losing the plot. I was going to do it and a fluke turn of fate. I don't know how much I can go into this. In fact, I shouldn't go into it because it involves someone else. It just happened that I didn't do it. But you did burn 60 cigarettes into your arm, right? That's my way of getting over the fucking mental torture. I've got a big fucking ugly scar on my arm, but I'm still here. I'm a fighter and a survivor. You've got to realise that the Wild Hearts is not a caring band. It's a very vicious band. The moral of the band is do the fucking job. It makes us very exciting on paper. It's good copy. Like when you smashed up the Kerrang office? To fuck with your band or your girlfriend. It's the closest thing to you. If you ain't going to retaliate, then people can get away with murder. I got more shit for that than for anything else we've done. It was the old fucking boys network of journalists going, Oh, you were well out of order. I'm like, bollocks. You're not in the band. You weren't there and you don't know. We've been writing consistently good songs for a long time, thank you very much, and the first talking point for the general media was that we smashed someone's computer. Fucking hell man, it only cost us two grand. My advice to bands who can't get mentioned in these magazines is this, go and break someone's computer, just don't hit anyone. But nobody's gonna fuck with me and get away with it. I've still got a little black book with a list of people who fucked with me. It doesn't mean I'm gonna get them next week, but one day I'm gonna get all the fuckers. I think if a few more people actually put their ass on the line, release the adrenaline rush when vengeance is fucking near, then there wouldn't be such a level of bullshit talked. Besides vengeance, what else drives you? I was born to write music. It seeps through every fibre of my whole body, and that's what keeps me going. Plus the fact I've got a sixth sense as far as music's concerned. To make it really big, it's so easy. I could write the songs that would get us famous and rich in five minutes, but I've always believed in patience. If something's worth doing, do it properly. It's um, not a very English way, which is why English blokes are usually crap in bed. Also, I realised that if I did commit suicide, it's karma points and they're a bitch. I'm suffering from them now because of mistakes I've made in previous lives. I ain't going to do it in this life, unless things get so bad that I don't mind getting the karma points. 
So what are you going to come back as in your next life? I want to come back as a lesbian. Girls are gorgeous, but if I came back as one, I can't ever imagine wanting to suck a guy's cock. I don't like men now, so I'm definitely not going to like them if I was a girl. I'm a fucking lesbian trapped in a man's body. Do you prefer being around women? Not all the time, because you get women who just want to give you a hard time. But in general, they seem to be less pack orientated. I hate packs. As Eddie Izzard said, the reason why men hang around in groups of five is because they've got a fifth of a personality each. That's so fucking right, man. You take one guy away from his pack and he's lost. He's a fucking jelly baby. But aren't the band your pack? Nope, not anymore. It'd be nice to think like that, but it's too hot-headed and volatile. It explodes once a day. Me and Danny argue like fuck and it's all alcohol related. He says some fucking horrible, hurtful things to me and I do the same to him. We've got a manager, God bless him, who loves the band. But if something fucks him off, he's like, fuck it, I'm off. And then we all get back together and it's all alright again. This band is a bizarre powder keg, but that makes it exciting. I mean, you look at a lot of the rock bands in England and they're boring bastards. They've got nothing to say apart from cod fucking politics or yeah, everything's great, mustn't grumble. Mustn't fucking grumble? You should fucking grumble because there's things to fucking grumble about. Do you ever sit back and enjoy what you're doing? No, never. If you relax and enjoy, uh, you're forgetting the world. I ain't the sort of person who sits down and gives himself a hearty pat on the back but I also don't believe in exploiting the pain. The only people that fucking exploit the pain are middle class people. They're rejecting their happy childhood. Well, I had a miserable childhood and I'm rejecting that. I had below lower class upbringings and I'm reacting against that. My misery is no one else's business. I don't like people giving a shit. I'm like a fucking cockroach. I'll be here after they drop the bomb. Do your mum and dad follow your career? My mother appreciates the fact that all the talk about me wanting to be in a band when I was at school wasn't just pipe dreams. She's proud of that, but she doesn't like the band. Ha, it's too fucking noisy. And I'll tell you the truth, if I ever did have a band that pleased my mother, I'd stop. My dad, God fucking knows where he is. Some people are really tight with their families, but that ain't me. I've been given one life to live and I don't want to go around the world with fucking emotional baggage. How many genuine friends have you got? None of your fucking business. Plenty. Enough not to need any more. My life's bigger than the Wild Hearts. It's bigger than Kerrang! Magazine and I ain't gonna be distracted by fame or fortune or notoriety. So you think you'll be famous and rich and notorious? It's too fucking easy. It's happening at the moment. You sell the marquee out, then you sell the town and country. Out, we're here. We made it. It means nothing to me. It just means more people wanna fucking hang around you. No one's gonna get a piece of ginger. Because if I have to fight against fame and fortune to retain my own fucking self-worth, then I'll do it. And that doesn't mean I'm going to go home and write a load of noisy bullshit music. No, I'm a great songwriter, so I'm going to go home and write great songs. But I have a certain level of reality in me. I don't want to go out with a model. I've got my girlfriend. I don't want to meet old rock stars because they mean fucking nothing to me. If I get to 80 or something, I'm going to look back on my life and have no regrets. The mind boggles at the thought of you as an 80-year-old scrope. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be tall, skinny and wiry, tough as fucking shit and still not taking anything from anyone. I'll have long grey hair and a big grey beard. I'll be dressed in a brown suit with a waistcoat and I'll look proper fucking dapper. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. We now come to albums and the album of the week this week is Menace to Sobriety by Ugly Kid Joe. Reviewed by Mike Peake, this gets 4Ks. 
You start with a two minute metal instrumental, you feature a cover of the Oompa Loompa song from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and you include a track titled Jesus Rode a Harley. You are menace to sobriety and you are quite possibly the most full on metal album released so far this year and good lord you are made by Ugly Kid Joe. This, it has to be said, is something of a jaw dropper. Ugly Kid Joe became the least popular band in the rock world after everyone suddenly decided they despised worldwide mega smash everything about you and scrambled on board the good ship grunge. So in 1995, Ugly Kid Joe are an unknown quantity. Are they cool by default? Will this LP see them storming back to the top of the charts? Probably not. Menace of Sobriety is a beautifully honest platter that goes to a place where old millions of bands have gone before. It's loud, it's riffy, it's full of screaming great in vocals. It isn't Terrorvision and it certainly isn't Reef. But for anyone who still gets off on a bloody great guitar hook and a demented drum beat, then this is the shit. Witness opening cut, the cleverly titled intro, and its angular power chords. Face the mighty god as it stomps in and rattles your cage with a rusty iron bar. Real as tomorrow's world pounds you into submission. Such is the singular tone of this ferociously powerful album, there is no release. Cust slaps you with a rubber chicken. First single Milkman's son nips in and shags your sister. Sucker Puff wraps a bass amp around your head. It is total heavy metal. At this point, you start to question things. Things like, how come this is infinitely better than the last Skid Row album? Things like, why the hell am I raging on about an Ugly Kid Joe LP? It's because you've got to admire a band who fly in the face of fashion. Only side to open a clouded sky says anything in the way of potential hit stamped on it, and that's just because it's a ballad. Everywhere else, Menace to Sobriety kicks like a mule, raw, snotty, and powerful. Three years ago, Ugly Kid Joe hated everything about you, your sister, and your mother too. Boo hoo. Right now, if you're screaming for another full on rock album to stick in your collection, they're your best fucking mate. Next up we have Nine Inch Nails with their album Further Down The Spiral. Reviewed by Steve Beebe, this gets 5Ks. It's official, Trent Reznor is God. Together with his spectral demon of a guitarist Robin Fink, Reznor equals chaos and glamour. This is the band that were offered a record fee to headline Reading and refused. This is the band that sold out Madison Square Garden in 15 minutes and then had the audacity to postpone the gig. If you honestly still haven't discovered Nine Inch Nails, buy the broken mini album today. Tomorrow you will be back, checkbook in hand to buy everything else Reznor has touched. This latest release included. Alternatively, you could just stay in bed. Further Down the Spiral is 60 minutes of remixes and reworkings from last album proper. 94's The Downward Spiral. It's mind blowing. Open a Piggy, one of the original album's quieter moments, now shot with a fat bruising guitar. The following two tracks mangle Mr. Self-Destruct into a corrosive pulp before bringing it out of the fire, screaming into your face. A new version of Heresy adds vibrant dance beats and extraordinary sampled vocals. Something called Downward Spiral The Bottom toys with soft atmospherics before incinerating all before it, at least until an incredible live version of Hurt brushes quietly past. At the heart of it all is a new track, a somber instrumental in which Reznor layers chugging mechanical soundbites onto an orchestral section, while the word riff is not sufficient to describe what pumps through the crushing erasure denial realisation. The final 10 minute long self-destruction final is the ultimate reworking of Mr. Self-Destruct. It defies description. It isn't too late to get into Nine Inch Nails. You're not still in bed, are you? The next album reviewed is Goo Goo Dolls with their album A Boy Named Goo. Reviewed by Paul Rees, this gets 4Ks. 
The Goo Goo Dolls deal in the most basic yet elusive currency, good songs. A boy named Goo is littered with them. A few years of touring every corner of the US and drifting between indie labels have done the Buffalo-based trio the world of good. They're hungry enough to grab their big chance by the throat and canny enough to have honed their craft to near perfection. A Boy Named Goo is the sort of record soul asylum stopped making after hang time. Steeped in classic American rock and roll, the crisp verses wraparound harmonies kicked out with snot-nosed urgency and panache. The likes of Long Way Down, Burning Up and So Long neatly mix fuzzed up guitars, ragged vocals and cracking melodic twists, while impersonality and eyes wide open are ragged but unashamed pop jewels. Then there's two genuine standout moments. Flat Top shows the dolls can handle something more subtle and resonant and Ain't That Unusual is the best song Paul Westerberg never wrote. A ragged melodrama with a wickedly insistent hook. A pretty wonderful little record. Next up we have Morbid Angel with their album Domination. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this one gets 4Ks. There's no intro. It starts with a thumping blacker than black riff then hit blast beat oblivion as Rowler Dave Vincent goes wog. A thousand band start albums like this, but here it's a genuinely powerful moment that reminds you how death metal used to make you clench your fist in healthy rage, rather than feel disgust at paying money for shit. This time, Morbid Angel have made a good album. 1993's Covenant was a disappointing affair which found the ferocious Floridians wallowing in a muddy soup and unable to spawn much in the way of memorable or moving assaults. It was virtually death metal by numbers. Domination, Morbid Angel's fourth opus is the product of more thought. The production is cleaner than Covenant, while still Hades heavy. Let's face it, Morbid Angel could make the birdie song murderous. Covenant was the quartet's major label debut in America, so perhaps they went overboard in trying to prove it wouldn't compromise their wild levels of extremity. It was an album full of hammering, drill speed drums from Pete Sandoval, whereas Domination sees a greater emphasis on slower stuff, plus the odd dabble in mid-pace middle grounds. Where the Slime Live drags the pace down, guitarist Trey Azogfoff's trademark sick and twisted riffage well in evidence. This mayhemic Mozart has long been responsible for giving Morbid Angel their own identity, speaking a musical language of his own as he tears through mulching riffs. Dawn of the Angry particularly bellies a weak title to serve up real genius. Domination ain't without thoughts. At times the downpaced material can get monotonous with too much emphasis on lead solos. Extended guitar breaks, as we all know, should be made illegal by 1996 at the latest. But generally, Morbid Angel have reaffirmed their status as some of Death's classiest demoniacs. And finally this week, we have the album God of Love by The Bad Brains. Reviewed by Paul Brannigan, this gets 3Ks. Want to hear where Dubwar get the inspiration for their manic reggae thrashing or the reason Adam Yonch from Beastie Boys picked up a bass guitar? Then check out Washington DC hardcore veterans The Bad Brains. Following a brief liaison with ex-Faith No More frontman Chuck Mosley, Bad Brains are reunited with original singer HR for this, their sixth LP, and they're harder, fresher, and funkier than ever. God of Love slams and twists between raging hardcore shit-kickers and mellow dub reggae workouts. The title track jerks around with big slippery riffs and stop-start rhythms, while Justice Keeper sounds like a collision between Bob Marley and Dave Mustaine at its most intense. Bassist Daryl Jennifer and drummer Earl Hudson carve out monster grooves on Cool Mountaineer and tongue tea tie rhythms as heavy as rhinos on steroids, yet as nimble and graceful as ballerinas. Most bands would donate testicles for a rhythm section like this. So why only 3Ks? Because on the latter half of the album, the musical balance is tipped heavily in favour of simmering reggae. Very good, hard-edged reggae admittedly, with long time and over the waters boasting deft melodic touches from legendary guitarist Dr. No. 
but you're left craving the frantic blast beat again. But these guys will be bringing the noise and influencing the stars for years to come. Chart Attack and the number one album this week is King For A Day, Fall For A Lifetime by Faith No More. Number one in the Indie LP charts is Red Medicine by Fugazi and number one in the singles charts is When I Come Around by Green Day. The readers chart this week comes from Nick from Kingswinford. His chart begins one, I don't got a place, Girls Against Boys, two, Pillar of Davidson, live, three, Get Your Gun, Marilyn Manson, four, 409 in the Coffee Maker, Green Day, five, Evil Elvis Therapy, six, Inside Alison Chain, seven, Footsteps, Pearl Jam, eight, Session Offspring, nine, Inner Logic, Bad Religion, and ten, Outshine by Soundgarden. The star tracks this week come from Jeff Walker of Carcass. His chart begins one, Post Bjork, two, The New Carcass LP, three, Carcass's remake of Bjork's next single, Isabel. Four, Idjit Savant by the Dickies. And five, The Crucifucks by The Crucifucks. Next week in Kerrang! Back Issues. From Rags to Richies. Bon Jovi. Sambora spills the beans in the Kerrang! interview. Fear Factory. Sex and violence in South Central LA. Ugly Kid Joe. Whitfield sings the booze. Paradise Lost. Eternal misery with the new metal messiahs. Sepultura. We've heard their next LP, plus win £500 worth of CDs. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, I really appreciate it. And we will be back next Wednesday as usual. So I look forward to talking to you all then. Have a good week and bye for now.